4: Hey, it's Kramer. To keep with my mission to teach you how to think about the markets like a pro, I want to tell you about another CNBC podcast, a show where I spend my mornings squawk on the street. Every day, my co-anchors, David Faber, Carl Quintanilla, and I bring you the opening bell and some of the biggest names in business and politics. Right now, I'm sharing with you a full episode to give you a preview. But don't forget, subscribe to the Squawk on the Street
5: podcast. Booyah! Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Sarah Eisen and Mike Santoli. We're live from the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and Carl have the morning off. Let's give you one look at futures here, of course, as we get you ready to the open. A uh, half hour from now here on the New York Stock Exchange. You can see once again, this is the third day in a row, I think I'm saying, a higher open, at least as forecast. We'll see if we do follow through, of course, uh, with those levels. It's going to be a quiet day, you'd imagine, given it is the day before the long holiday weekend for Labor Day. Let's get to our roadmap this morning. It does start with, well, some optimism on the trade war front. Same thing we kind of were saying yesterday, stocks rising amid cooling rhetoric. But here come tariffs. Remember, they're a new set. They're going to be hitting Chinese imports and will kick in this weekend.
6: Plus, keeping an eye on corporate earnings, plenty of them this morning. Campbell Soup, Ulta, Dell, Workday among the big movers. And
5: Tesla getting a China break; shares are rallying this on news that 16 models will be exempt from China's auto import tax. As we head into the final trading session of August, all three major indices in the red for the month. And the Nasdaq is the biggest decliner; it is still down more than two percent. This, of course, Mike, despite what's been a nice rally the last few days. We'll see yes. how we end the month.
2: It's been a, it's been a round trip actually from last Thursday to, through yesterday in the S and P five hundred. You recouped uh, all that was lost on that Friday, where you got a little bit of a surprise escalation in the trade war fears. Today's open at the S&P level that we're seeing right now would take you back three weeks. So basically August 8th, most of the losses of August. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of partly, I think, just tactical. People really did, in the equity market, get very negative, positioned very cautiously. Sentiment really took a dive. Lots of flows out of stocks. Lots of downside protection. But you had this real seizing up uh, of concern based on what the bond market was doing. Right. And now that's eased just slightly. And maybe there's a sense that, uh, you know, the trade... News can stay sidelined for a little while, and, uh, and we're just recouping. I think it makes it a very tough return to work for a professional investor who went away thinking you're going to have a chance to buy an oversold market uh, that was at the low end of its range you know, after the Labor Day holiday, and you come in, it's like, well, we're right back to the top of the range. It's not quite as oversold as I was hoping it was, and we still have the same issues we're
6: dealing with. The bond market is not reacting as enthusiastically or optimistically as the stock market. I mean, yes, we got above 150 on the 10 year. Great. Wow. But, uh, right, exactly. And, you know, you still have this inversion issue to deal with. Though the technical analysts, Mike, to your point, are saying that we are seeing quite a nice recovery. I mean, this this morning, Matt Maley of Miller-Tabak notes the support levels have held in two key groups that everyone was watching, the Transports and the Russell 2000. Both of them had underperformed for all of August. Both of them are seen as sort of a bearish sign on the economy and on the forward view. And we've seen those June lows hold and that's potentially a good sign. And the
2: recovery in the past couple days has been relatively broad in terms of volume. You clearly had money rush back in because the outperformance of bonds had been so extreme and people were positioned uh, really for further downside in stock. So right now... I think it's kind of a a tactical, okay, we overshot just a little bit in the short term. Um, The big question, obviously, is do yields give you clearance for further optimism in stocks? The volatility index is now looking like it's going to decline towards 17. The last time the S&P was at this level, we were down, you know, 16-ish. So, clearly, there's a little bit of a... Uh, of a reserve out there, people saying, we're not sure if this bad weather has passed
5: yet. Right. Uh, Sarah, I can remember we were s- sitting here uh, on Closing Bell just a week or so ago talking about a brief inversion in the 2.10 yield curve. Now it's more constant. It's
6: happened a bunch of times in And yet there itself. was
5: concern then that doesn't seem to be certainly widely shared now in terms of it being some sort of key recessionary indicator.
6: Well... I don't think anybody disputes that it has preceded seven of the last seven sessions post-war. They don't. But we have
5: detailed how many people have come on and talked about somewhat unique factors in this current environment.
6: That the U.S. is the high-yielder. That that foreign governments and, and foreign investors and foreign central everybody needs yield. And we have positive yield. And when you have so much negative yield around the globe, the money just rushes into the U.S. And so, so that's one of the main explanations. And actually, if you start looking at the end of the month data, foreign investors did pile into U.S. stocks and U.S. bonds at the fastest pace in about a year. Sixty four billion dollars worth of U.S. stocks and bonds in June. Largest amount since August 2018. We saw that in the price action, but now we're getting the confirmation in the flows, which is a good thing. And the other thing I would point out, Mike, is that our economy is still in pretty decent shape. I mean, even the latest news on the economy, yeah, big pending home sales miss, but consumer strong, consumer confidence high. So it's really hard to get on board with that inversion recession call if you're looking at some of the data, even the forward-looking data like jobless claims. It is
2: true. uh, Personal spending was uh, a little bit of an upside surprise today, which is, uh, you know, in In that same theme. Of course, you're going to have the a counterpoint to that, which is, yeah, after the initial inversion, it always sort of starts to look good because yields have come down and we've gotten a little bit of a second wind. Um, so I don't think you're going to get liberated from this debate of are we sliding toward zero growth? Even if we're not sliding towards zero, I think the story's going to stay out there.
6: Well, the, because it doesn't tell you when. That's, right, not at so all. It's, yeah. it's hard. With the tariffs set to go into effect on Sunday, President Trump is weighing in on GM's presence in China this morning, tweeting General Motors, which was once the giant of Detroit, is now one of the smallest auto manufacturers there. They moved major plants to China before I came into office. This was done despite the saving help given them by the USA. Now they should start moving back to America again. Let's bring in Phil Lebeau, who's in Chicago. <clears throat> Automakers yet again the target of a presidential tweet, <laughs> Phil.
3: And Sarah, this is getting an eye roll not only at GM headquarters, but in the auto industry and in Detroit. Uh, Look, this tweet is primarily intended for a broader audience, not for GM, not for the business community, because everybody realizes there's very little in that tweet that is accurate or correct. General Motors is still the largest automaker in the United States. It's still one of the largest. I think it is the largest of the automakers in terms of employment in southeastern Michigan. And they didn't move their plants from the U.S to China, they started establishing plants in China going way back to the days of Rick Wagner. I mean, he set the blueprint for the auto industry in terms of you build in that country to sell in that country, and almost everything that they sell in China is built in China. That's why those plants are there. They didn't take plants from here in the U.S. and say, well, you know what, Let's move it over to China, and then we'll bring it uh, some of those models back here to the U.S. That's not what happened. So I, I will say this, guys. While this gets an eye roll in the auto industry, and everybody will say this is not correct, I have heard from other people, just regular people, who will say to me, well, you know, the auto industry, they moved all their plants to China. And when I say to them, that's not correct, they come back and they say, really? Oh, that's what I thought. And that's not just because of President Trump. That's just a general idea that is out there.
5: Right. You know, Phil, it's important to point out, as you always do, China is the largest auto market in the world yeah. and probably will be
3: for forever. <laughs> right. Right. And right now, what? even this year, they've had 13 straight months, guys, of sales dropping year over year. 13 straight months. And they're still going to sell 23, 24 million vehicles. Now, think about that. That dwarfs what we're going to do here in the United States, which might be 17 million if it's a strong second half of the year
6: we were just talking about performance for august as we wrap up the month Phil, autos as an industry group down seven percent for the month auto parts down seven percent is that a reflection of of all the new tariffs and the trade friction or are people reading into that as some sort of forward-looking indicator cyclically for the economy
3: well autos have been out of favor for a long time largely because i think investors look at this industry and they say where's the growth you're investing heavily in autonomous and electric vehicles We're not sure that things get a whole lot better from here. I mean, look, the United States is the most lucrative auto market in the world... General Motors made a couple billion dollars uh, in, in the second quarter uh, in the United States. They're doing fantastic here. How much better is it going to get? So if you're an investor, you look at the United States auto market and you say, I'm not sure it gets a whole lot better for these guys from here. Plus, they've got to make all these investments in the future. That's why auto stocks in general are not doing anything. And in terms of the trade impact, that's the part suppliers. They do feel an impact because of Tier 2, Tier 3 subcomponent suppliers in China, who then ship over uh, parts to larger components that go into vehicles, those are being impacted.
6: Phil LeBeau. Phil, thank you. You bet. Never a dull moment. Joining us now on the overall market take, Wells Fargo Asset Management Multi-Asset Strategist Brian Jacobson and Stiefel's Head of Institutional Strategy, Barry Bannister. So, so Barry, what do you do? Do you buy into the optimism on U.S., China and the markets that we've seen on this final trading week of the month of August?
7: No, Sarah, I, I can't believe that any self-respecting deal-maker would fold right now for a multi-year truce or deal. Uh, you've got China's economy leaking over to the consumer side weakening, uh, you've got Europe uh, in trouble in the continent and you want Brexit to go more towards the UK way. Most importantly, you've got the Fed meetings coming up and you really want rate cuts. Uh, why would you settle now? So uh, there seems to be a little misplaced optimism there, at least as far as I can tell.
6: You're saying why, why as President Trump, would you settle now?
7: Yeah, let's face it, he's running this trade uh, negotiation. It's uh, being done at lower levels by functionaries, but the policy overall is being set in the White House. I just don't think that there's any great rush. Uh, and as the market figures that out, as the month progresses, we might get lower prices in the fourth quarter. Uh, particularly if the Fed drags its heels on rate cuts. Uh, Brian, the, uh,
2: the bond market is kind of dictating the terms of this debate in a large degree. We were just talking about it. Obviously, you've had this uh, recent pretty steady flatness of the yield curve, and yet credit markets have been OK. So it's not as if necessarily the entire bond market is declaring a recession is on the way. Where does all that bring you?
8: Well, for our team, the way that we're positioning portfolios is still favoring adding some of the credit risk, but in a very judicious way, and I think that you're absolutely right. We've seen that uh, Treasury yields have fallen. don't seem to be able to get back up, but yet if you look at uh, credit spreads, those haven't blown out. And in the past, if you look at what are those conditions that say that a recession is more imminent, it's usually about the inverted yield curve and the spreads widening. Now, that's not to say there won't be a recession, but it's an imperfect indicator as to when. Will it be a slow slide over the next two years or how long, right? Uh, So it's not a very good indicator about when it will happen. And so given that, uh, What our take is that we will likely see a continued economic slowdown, but not enough to really see a dramatic increase in defaults. And as a result, on the fixed income portion of our portfolios, we still do like adding that credit risk. But at the same time, we're not that afraid of adding the duration risk. We think that we're kind of stuck in a a somewhat slow, sluggish growth environment with very low, slow inflation. And that means that yields are likely to stay range-bound.
5: How are you going to get a return then for your clients if you're putting them in to credit right now? (laughs)
8: <laughs> yeah. Well believe it or not there are plenty of opportunities for credit if you look at uh, the lower quality investment grade, higher quality, high yield if you look at emerging market debt uh, cocoa bonds in Europe uh, pan-European high yields uh, so it does involve really moving out along the risk spectrum a little bit more. We manage multi asset portfolios and so when we're creating a multi asset income type strategy we're also adding global dividend yield stocks um, also oh, and interesting The interesting dimension, too, is I don't think that investors should be so fixated on just clipping coupons and collecting dividends. They can also consider what is the total distribution potential of their portfolio. It's not just about the income, but can you create your own income uh, by having more, uh, uh, even tapping into some of the capital gains that you've accumulated?
9: To
6: that point, Barry, I mean... Do you think that, the, that we are at a point now where investors should be more aggressive buying dividend-yielding stocks that are yielding so much more than treasuries, I think more than the 30-year treasury for the first time since the last recession? Where are you on that?
7: Yeah, we've been positive since last uh, summer on the bond proxy defensives, the staples, the REITs, the utilities. Uh, when you look at the mild recession of the early 90s and the early 2000s, very mild, The real yield, the 10-year tips yield, or the real yield, fell uh, about 100 basis points. We started uh, June 20th at a 50-day moving average on the 10-year, 3-month curve inverting. Uh, That's been a reliable signal, uh, no false uh, blips. Uh, The the real yield then was 25 basis points. So there's no reason we can't go to a minus uh, uh, 75 basis points on the tips. And that's how you uh, actually make some money on credit as well. I heard the earlier discussion. Uh, you'd be looking at a 10-year yield of somewhere around 75 basis points. And that's with a very mild slowdown that doesn't really hit the consumer side as much as the corporate side of the economy.
6: We'll leave it there. Barry Bannister, Brian Jacobson, thank you both for joining us.
5: Coming up, market reaction to earnings from the likes of Campbell Soup, Dell, and Alta. Sarah and I are going to talk about contouring and why its decline is actually contributing to an incredible decline in shares of Ulta. You're going to want to look forward to that. Plus, here's another look at futures as we get ready for an open 15 minutes from now.
10: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet.
6: Number of earnings movers to get to this morning. Campbell's Soup rising after beating on the bottom line and top line. Stell up sharply, better than expected. Results there are helped by strong sales across its computer product line. But check out shares of Ulta. Pre-market plummeting almost 25% after posting a quarterly miss, lowering its full-year guidance, which the company says reflects headwinds in the U.S. cosmetics market. David's done a lot of work here. (laughs) And I think the key question is, is contouring peaked?
5: Yes. Well, you brought that up to me. I was reading this conference call because there's not really that many people to call this morning, so I've just taken a reading Ulta's conference call. Listen, they had uh, uh, total sales up 12%, comp store sales 6.2%, a gross margin expanding 40 basis points, all of which is really not bad and, in fact, is pretty good in terms of uh, continuing the growth story there. But the problem, uh, as Sarah just alluded to, is 50% 50% of their business and their highest margin category is cosmetics. Uh, they say they continue to drive meaningful market share growth in makeup across both, both mass and prestige, Sarah. But cosmetics overall in the US market is challenged. After several years of very strong performance, it's decelerating. In fact, right now it's gone negative. And when they talk about why, they say the main issue driving the softer cycle in cosmetics is newness and innovation that have been the focus of most brands have not driven incremental growth. And over the last year, a few years, they've seen this strong growth in cosmetics driven by new rituals and application techniques like contouring Told and you. brow styling and. That innovation resulted in new makeup routines, and now it just doesn't seem to be happening anymore. Why?
6: Well, it's a little disappointing because I'm a huge fan of the contour. Um, You might notice that I do it every day. But seriously, this has been a trend across the cosmetics market. We've seen it out of companies like Estee Lauder and others who have done well because the growth is really in skincare and the growth is in sort of other beauty products. But as you said, Ulta is really exposed to the color cosmetics category, which I guess Mary Dillon, the CEO, is blaming on the producers, saying that they're just not innovating enough and they're not coming up with enough styles. I don't know. Mike has teenage daughters. Maybe you can.
2: So my window on this (laughs) is the uh, endless loops of YouTube uh, makeup tutorials that that my daughters will watch. Although I do wonder if that's if, if that's maybe reached a little bit of a saturation point just in, tr- in terms of certain modes uh, and just having a very finished look. I don't know. What I do know, though, is that this <laughs> stock was valued as a perpetual growth retail momentum story, Uh, not the stock momentum, but the fundamental momentum and how many stores can they put out there. And they had great comps and they performed really well for a long period of time. So this is just a valuation adjustment. People saying, look, course correction here. They do not have uh, necessarily a strong and organic growth path as we thought. It was a mid-20s forward P.E. multiple for a long time, uh, and it's falling away from that.
5: Yeah, well, again, 50% of their business and the largest margin contributor is makeup. Both mass and prestige, which, again, I think we maybe we need to clarify for people what that is. But overall, these behaviors that you're talking about, even though you it's keep contouring.
6: Expensive. I keep contouring. Kim Kardashian keeps contouring. So I'm, I'm actually not a believer in the death of contouring. And they did say that KKW Beauty by Kim is coming to Ulta Beauty with more than 146 million Instagram followers. You know, Kim Kardashian, they're hoping... We'll get things, we'll going, get things again. going again. Maybe the
2: average woman out there says, look, I can't compete with Kim Kardashian and Sarah Eisen in this.
6: I don't know. So I Kylie just, Cosmetics. going to quit. Kylie's a billion-dollar uh, billionaire. Kylie Jenner, <laughs> right? Kylie Jenner, and yes. that is what helped Ulta. Estee Lauder
5: pre open down 1%. I'm going to figure out what contouring actually is.
6: (laughs) You have it on you. I do. As we count you down (laughs) to the opening bell, uh, let's take another look at the futures. Looks like we're going for another strong day on Wall Street. Dow futures up 160. That's on top of the already pretty strong gains we have for the week. We'll be right back.
12: Picture this.
0: All
5: right, there's a look at how we're going to open at least. So six minutes from now, another higher open would be our third day at least. But remember, one week ago, very different story. Opening bell coming up. All right, we're going to get started with trading here. Final trading day, of course, uh, of the week, of the month, of the summer. Papasandi's here at Post 9 uh, to join us, sort of run things down. I mean, we were just talking during the break. You forget what a month it's been if you own bonds. Yeah. Your returns this month have been amazing. Incredible. And,
4: and we've had a complete reversal this week. So I just want to point out this is very unusual this week. The SP is up 1.4%, but the equal weighted, all 500 equal weighted, is up 2.6%. Look at that. That is a very unusual dispersion there. 460 stocks are up this week, only 40 are down. That's kind of weird. So this is really a broad rally. Rally. Everything is essentially up one and a half to three percent. So what's why we get why is this happening? Is there less trade tension? Is there some rebalancing from oversold? And the answer is it's a, maybe a little both here. So look at these cyclicals selling off. Even with this is much better than it was a week ago. These were all down double digits. Metals and mining banks, energy industrials, they're still down for the month, even though we had a good rally this week. What I want to point out, David, we were just talking about the Treasury rally this month has been titanic. The 10 to 20 year, up six and a half percent. That's TLT, I don't remember ever seeing long-term bonds up almost 11% in the month. That is extraordinary. And that weighs in a little bit on the argument that maybe there is a little bit of rebalancing going on. So the issue is, where are you on the global growth slowdown equation? Do you believe there's going to have a big slowdown or a little slowdown? If you believe we're going to have a big slowdown, the bears say it's going to accelerate, maybe recession. And what I care about, what's the earnings outlook? Earnings, if you're really bearish, could be flat to down 20%. And remember, in a typical recession, typical down market, you get earnings down 20%. 2008, we were down 23%. But the bulls will argue, well, wait a minute, that's unlikely outcome. The geopolitical risk will subside. We'll get some kind of truce or a deal, and earnings could be up five to 10%. So what do you do with this? You could drive a truck through the earnings estimates for next year, Mike. Yeah. you've got a bid that that is remarkably wide on the earnings side, and, and what that's that what doesn't the
2: tell you is exactly what is priced into the market for earnings, right? We know what the estimates are. We can all look at it and say, look, it looks a little bit aggressive. To say we're going to get double digits starting by the way, in the first quarter, right? I mean, that's only a few months away. So you could say that, but then if you look at the cyclical stocks within the market that look like they've been beaten up because nobody really believes the earnings. So that's the push-pull to me. And the stock-to-bond dynamic is fascinating, and it's obviously spring-loaded rebalancing. But it also shows maybe the bond market got everybody thinking too much about imminent recession.
4: I think the problem, what we had, and what the market is reflecting, is they don't have a lot of confidence in the earnings projections. When you've got that kind of dispersion on the opinions on the on the on 2020 earnings number, the market's going to be all over the place, and it's reflecting that uncertainty. Thanks, Bob. All right, you hear the applause,
5: you hear the bell. And let's take a look at our real-time exchange Back at headquarters, of course. Again, going to be more green on that board. Here at the Big Board, Boston Beer Company, celebrating the growth of its truly hard seltzer over at the NASDAQ, China-based Blue Hat Interactive Entertainment technology.
6: It's all about hard seltzer. It combines the bubbly water and the young people getting into healthy drinks. I mean, this is where the growth is in the alcohol. It's
5: not about contouring. It's about hard seltzer.
6: Well, we'll see. We'll see about that contouring after Kim Kardashian's line launches. We should check on Ulta. I mean, talk about how these stocks are getting re-rated off earnings. Best Buy yesterday closing down almost 10%. Ulta is going to be a huge loser today. And and Mike, it was a lower sales forecast. There was a lot in there about weakness in the U.S. cosmetics market. But one question going into Ulta is where the valuation was on right. this stock. This has been a hyper-growth story. It's been one of the favorites. I remember Simeon Siegel Nomura a few months ago getting a lot of brief when he downgraded Ulta and Lululemon, two of the favorites in the industry. And He was a little early on that, but clearly uh, that's coming to fruition today. and the market was getting a little
2: bit wobbly on the outlook for Ulta before I mean it traded at 360 in you know mid-july so it was already kind of on the downswing a little bit to the to the low 300s and yeah this is one of those quarters where you say fine if you're a growth investor uh, you want to essentially lower your sights for what it can do in terms of organic uh, sales growth mostly in the top line so Uh, It was a category killer in some respects, and I think that it was a hot category and a good operator. And so if you're losing the the tailwind in the category, uh, that's going to have people retreat.
5: We do have some winners this morning. We have mentioned earlier, of course, Dell and Campbell both out with earnings. Let me hit Dell because the stock is up 8.4%. Haven't talked about it that much, have we, since it really became a truly public company, of course. Roughly $36.5 billion market value. Going up today, uh, cash flow uh, in the quarter was a record $3.4 billion adjusted free cash flow, driven by what they have, strong profitability and working capital discipline. That's what at least they're saying. Uh, also deferred revenue up seventeen percent to twenty five point three billion and recurring revenue now by the way makes up around twenty to twenty five percent of the revenue each quarter uh, as uh, i'm sure many of our viewers know uh, investors typically are willing to pay a bit of a higher multiple for recurring revenue uh, given you conceivably can count on it but uh, overall mike a very positive quarter from dell uh, this morning and again and not a name it's funny i was focused on the fight as often as the yeah. case when their shareholders were objecting to the exchange offer and everything else, but it has now been public for a while and having a, a good run of it. It definitely, you know, today in not like this, over the last year.
2: It's it's arguably probably still kind of undercovered, underowned for the size of the business. There's a complexity factor here, uh, you know, in terms of how it became public and the various stakes involved and everything like that. So it does seem as if often depressed. Uh, price, uh, it's it sort of having this move. And I was saying last night when they reported, you know, not the same exact business, but HPE this week, too, had a really bad run, really cheap stock, and you got a relief bounce once the uh, numbers were
5: okay when they reported. Yeah, they do compete with each other. Sarah Campbell's yep. is a company you follow closely for a long time. How was the quarter?
6: There's some light at the end of this tunnel. It was a $0.09 beat on the bottom line, and sales also looked pretty decent. 2% net sales, 2% organic sales, and the real bright spot there was the snacks division. Remember, they own Pepperidge Farm. Goldfish is doing well. And also, they own Snyder's Lance. So that's also been a higher growth paid category. a big price for it, of and course, under the
5: last administration. True, the last, and that you know, was one of
6: the problems financially. Yes. But they've been you know, spinning off businesses, trying to clean up the balance sheet, and that's why you know, the earnings are, are, are a little messy. But if you look at the underlying sales trends, they're improving. And here's the biggest point for investors. Soup sales are stabilizing. Ah. That was a big problem. Uh, condensed soup you know so they they're investing behind this brand it's not going to be a straight line but I think all the commentary on the call which is still going on under the new CEO Mark Klaus and the outgoing CFO which they announced they're getting a new CFO from Chobani today uh, is about the stabilization and the investment that they're going to bring to the soup category. I mean, one weak spot is V8, but they're encouraged, actually, by the plant-based trends that are going on in the market, and so I think they're going to try to pump money into that brand as well. But overall, actually, a relatively healthy set of results that, as, as we can see, the market is applauding up almost 7%, and, showing since real size of a turnaround. And the stock has been
5: performing fairly well. Of course, Dan Loeb's third point took a significant position, got a couple of board seats, agitated for change, was involved in The uh, the new CEO taking over there. Um, When you when you talk soup stabilizing though, I tend to and then I go immediately to Kraft Heinz and think about their product portfolio. No stabilization there. No stabilization there. We I think it was earlier we showed it because it has been such a poor performer even this August.
6: Right, and it was always sort of Campbell's down with it in terms of one of the underperformers. Campbell's is making a stand here and, and and they're they're turning it around. So clearly Kraft is. Is the one that's lagging behind. They lost their CFO. Yes, recently. I was earlier this week, I believe. Yeah, Uh, and not much. I mean, look consumer staples have been so strong lately because they pay high dividends. We're actually seeing some signs of organic growth there. The healthy consumer is working. The turnaround plans, the new CEOs are making a mark on their companies. So it is start to see a craft times down 40% in that kind of environment. I think one of the questions for investors, Mike, as we look ahead to September is, are consumer staples con- yes. going to continue to be the hot place to be?
2: Right, because they really have been just lifted on this tide Record of defensive highs, Angie, quality stocks.
6: Coca-Cola, Pepsi, right. these have been really strong performers. It would
2: be logical if you got some more certainty about the economic uh, growth outlook that they might give some of that outperformance back. Um, so, yeah, that is something. It didn't happen yesterday, really. I mean, the staples were flat, not down, as the rest of the market went up. Um, I was going to point out Workday reported last night, and really only because it's a $40 billion market cap company that's been an amazing performer and really a play on a lot of this sort of enterprise software, cloud-based software um, dynamics that people are excited about. It's up about, you know, six-tenths of a percent right now. It's been as, up as much as 1%, but it's 16% off its high. So it's, it's in this, you know, very expensive stock, great fundamental trends everyone has embraced, but it's, a you know, it's backed off a fair bit from, uh, from its highs maybe stabilizing. They had some, you know, I, I guess middling guidance, but so far it seems like subscription trends up 34% year over year uh, is enough to hold the stock in place right now at, you know, 14 times revenues or something like that. Some yeah. very
5: high and multiple. number of people have come back to Salesforce's quarter uh, and said how strong it was, although it did get wrapped up in the decline late last week, I believe. Um, and the stock has not done much, Mike, this year. Up 3% is Salesforce, which typically we've come to see as a very strong performer over years past.
2: And it has been, essentially software really the strongest part of tech this year um, in terms of, you know, making new highs and, and leading the group, and Salesforce has really been sideways in that trend. It's kind of gone on its own dynamics and digesting, you know, many years of huge gains. So um, definitely worthwhile, uh, I mean, worth noting that it's, uh, you know, making another little attempt up toward, uh, up toward the highs.
6: If you look at the best performing stocks for the month of, do you know the best performing stock for the month of August? Uh, no. Target, up 25 percent, for the 26 percent for the month. I mean, yes, they had an outstanding quarter, but it's consumer stocks. It's not just Target. Number two is Dollar General, up almost 20 percent for the month of August.
5: Which extended but, its, its gains yesterday after stronger-than-expected earnings.
6: So it's really the, the retail performers that are actually benefiting from this healthy consumer. Citigroup put out a note last night saying... Well, if the U.S. consumers in such great shape, why are the retailers going in such different directions? And the conclusion was the consumers in better shape than the retailers. Basically, right. they're all dealing with their own sort of issues and secular problems. But if you're if you're nailing it right now, that that is what was rewarded during the month. It's also just striking to see. I mean, I mentioned the sort of re-rating on Ulta today, Mike, but yeah. the reactions to earnings have been so sharp, either up or down. I don't know if that's a setup because the market was at a record high or yeah. we have low interest rates. And it, it just hits a raw
2: nerve. Any... Any, you know, worse than expected numbers, you get caught up in the macro story. Is there something bigger going on in the market? Plus, August reporting season, it's get, it gets a little bit jumpy with uh, air pockets and stuff as well. I was going to point out just the position of the overall market. The S&P, 29.37. Uh, the recent high, August 8th, is 29.38. I mean, this market just kind of goes up to a certain level that everyone's been watching, hangs out there for a little while. so it did yesterday morning as well. Uh, the high for the month right at the beginning of August was basically 29.50. That's where, if you went above that, you say, okay, fine, August might have just been uh, this completed pullback. Right now, you're still kind of in the zone of trying to figure out if we're just bouncing and not really making another run at the highs. And the Treasury yields are up a little bit with the tenure at 152.
5: Mike, as we end August and head into uh, the fall and September, are there any trends that we should be looking at in the past for guidance in terms of what we can expect?
2: If you believe the historical tendencies, September is the weakest month of the year on average. Um, whether it's up or down, has been a coin flip in the last 90 years, basically. About 54% of the time, it's been down. But on average, 1%. But So it's one of those deals where um, it don't usually... do you poo-poo the
9: seasonal trends?
2: I do. I, I, I don't poo-poo them, meaning that they're irrelevant. But they're not the first, second, or third reason the market does what it does. So my take on it is always that the seasonal trends are climate, not weather. Right? It tells you kind of the broad uh, tendencies. It doesn't tell you how to dress tomorrow.
6: And for all the, the talk about the strong dollar, strong dollar, strong dollar, the dollar's completely flat for the month of August. Um, it's up it's up a little bit, but clearly it's been up, you know, over a three-month time period, over a 12-month time period, headwind probably to earnings. But nothing like the moves we've seen, for instance, in the bond market or even in the equity market for the month of uh, August. I, I would also point out, you know, there's still a lot of overseas concerns. And overnight, we saw what, 20 more arrests in Hong Kong? That's something that Wall Street keeps an eye on. Argentina defaulting. Uh, I mean, there, it just goes from bad to worse there in terms of its currency and its bond market. Not, not necessarily on the front burner, obviously, for US investors, but I think. It's part of, the, part of what we have to watch. Without a doubt. And I do know many September. people
5: who are keeping a close eye. I get, I get stories sent to me during the course of the day as well uh, in terms of Hong Kong and whether or not China's having a military buildup on the other side of the border and what they will do and what's going to occur this but You're absolutely right. Unclear exactly what the market reaction would be, but certainly one would think it would not be a positive one should the Chinese become um, more forceful in, in, uh, in asserting their will in terms of those protests. And with that
2: hovering out there, I just think it's one of those interesting little short-term tests for the market ahead of a three-day weekend. You know, are people going to have the nerve to step up and say, fine, stocks look reasonable here. We'll we'll be willing to buy them up uh, 100 points on the Dow going into a three-day weekend when you have still uh, a lot of perceived headline risk, whether it's real headline risk or not.
6: And the other thing to watch is Europe and and the decline of the economies there as a result of getting caught up in the trade tensions. You know, an economy like Germany, which is so much more exposed to exports and the Chinese slowdown. You know, contracting is, is a potential real headwind for U.S. earnings. And, and on that front, I just wanted to point out an interesting op-ed in, in today's Washington Post from Tom Donahue, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, obviously the most influential U.S. business lobby in this country, who he's always walks a fine line with intervening in politics. You know, they don't support tariffs, but they do support the president trying to negotiate a better trade deal for U.S. companies. He basically calls on the president, though, to withdraw the additional tariff scheduled to go into effect September 1st and December 15th, kind of a desperate last minute call there, Uh, and to return to the negotiating table in good faith. He does give the president credit for the tax reform and the deregulatory relief, saying that causes a lot of spending from businesses and warns that if we continue on this tariff route, we could be heading into recession because capital investment is a huge driver of the economy.
5: Well, Trump has fired back at him in the past. We'll see if we get any response to that at all. Uh, All right, let's uh, get a bit more on what's moving this morning. Of course, other than Ulta, which is certainly a feature today, Kate Rogers down almost 26%.
1: That's right, David. Good morning. So the Nasdaq opening higher by just under a half a percent this morning, looking to end the week on a positive note, breaking a string of four consecutive weekly losses ahead of those new tariffs kicking in on Sunday. For the month, though, the Nasdaq composite still down by over three and a half percent. Tesla's a big mover here this morning on news that 16 of its models will be exempt from China's auto purchase tax. The company also raised prices on some of its vehicles in the country. You just mentioned Ulta, obviously a huge mover here. I love that contouring conversation you guys just had down by 25%. Those comp store sales lower than expected. The company also lowering its profit forecast as sales of those color cosmetics did slow down. Dell, another earnings mover here today, up more than 10%. The company reporting beats on the top and bottom line thanks to stronger sales on its computer product line. So it's also saying it's successfully handling some of those tariffs that have been imposed on some of its products. And then finally, another one we'll keep an eye on here today, Apple. That's contributed to a lot of the gains we've seen at the NASDAQ this week. It's this morning and it'll be one to watch, of course, heading into the weekend as these new tariffs are slated to kick in. Guys, back over to you.
6: Okay, thank you. Chicago PMI due out in just a few moments. Let's go to the bond picks. Rick Santelli at the CME Group in Chicago.
12: Thanks, Sarah. You know, it's been a wild week uh, with respect to interest rates. Uh, one week of tenure. You know, we're down... Uh, two on the week, but we're actually up two on the day. So after the initial breaks, most of the big drops in yield happened earlier in the month. We have stabilized. We just haven't bounced very high off of the uh, lows that we've established. And of course, they are cycle lows. And with regard to 10-year and 30-year, they're actually uh, very long. On 30-year all time. And if you look at a July 2016 chart of 10s, you could see it was just this week that we touched a level that we haven't seen since July. Uh, Overseas the two-year in Europe, known as the Shots, traded minus 92 basis points, as you see. And finally, uh, if we look at what's going on in foreign exchange, i like to talk about the dollar index, which literally is sitting on 27-and-a-half-month highs. But if you look at the euro versus the dollar in this one-week chart, you can see the breadth of the drop. Now, of course, we are expecting a big number right now, and that is our August read on uh, Chicago PMI, expecting a number under 50 surprise 50.4 50. 50.4 50. now considering our last look was 44.4 4, the weakest since around christmas of 2015 This indeed is a nice jump, but it only takes us back as far as our 54.2 read that was in May. But it really isn't about how far back you have to go. This is a very important jump in this series, back in expansion mode, and we'll continue to monitor. We all know that there's issues related to trade that are affecting the industrial aspects of this country and many others. And, of course, that continues to weigh on lots of various parts of the global economy. Sarah, back to you.
6: All right, Rick, thank you. Mike, it follows a better Richmond manufacturing. I mean, these these survey numbers were worrisome last time around. In
2: fact, they were the most worrisome, really, set of data that we had. It was a lot of the the manufacturing industrial survey-based numbers. Remember, it's a survey, and we are going to get the official ISM, I guess, Tuesday, right? So that's been very widely watched. And, you know, there has been this subtle trend of better-than-expected Uh, economic data, both here and around the world. Better than expected, not great. So we'll see if that uh, sort of changes perceptions a little bit of where we are in terms of growth, coming along with better personal spending numbers this morning and then the 2% ratification of the second quarter GDP.
6: Also coming along with more tariffs, (laughs) which are set to kick in. Right,
2: exactly. So the question is, is this relevant to the outlook?
5: Right. right. Meanwhile, negative rates just continue to get more negative, at least in terms of Germany. Who's buying this stuff, sir? <laughs> well,
2: people just, who have made a ton of money buying bonds and watching their price go up—that's a lot of it. Right. And no there's people who literally have to. Think think banks it's just going to keep getting more. Negative. Insurance companies, on some level, have to.
6: Pension um, funds.
2: There are mandates
5: that yes. they must own. And if something. you
2: believe, you know, the current. By the way, there's a way to make a positive return out of it. You can swap out of dollars and into euro, your, and, and you're getting paid. A little bit on the currency swap. If you're a U.S. based investor, my understanding is, if you if you buy and then you lever that up, you get a return. And there you go. You might actually get a
5: bonus this year.
6: And then there's the people who think that Europe is heading into a deflationary, recessionary, right, long-term and trap, it would be and that. worth even less. Exactly.
5: If you don't. Uh, all right. There you go. We got some good explanations just now on negative rates, didn't we, Mike Santoli? Making some interesting dynamics. Yeah.
6: All right. As you can see, we're opening higher here across the board. Dow up 102. S&P 500 up another four tenths of one percent, adding to the gains for the week, looking at potentially three percent or more uh, gains for the overall market. Another positive day on Wall Street. We will continue to track the movers for you here on Squawk on the Street. Stay with us.
5: All right, there's a look at Cisco. It has not been a good uh, August for uh, the company. Worst performer on the Dow. Of course, we know the best performer overall has been Target, as Sarah told us earlier. Squawk on the street. We'll be right back.
6: US markets aren't alone when it comes to having a rough August. It's been an ugly month for stocks around the globe. Seema Modi back at HQ with a breakdown. Morning, Seema.
9: Good morning, Sarah. That's right. Lower rates would typically be good for emerging markets, but a combination of a weaker Chinese yuan, an escalation in the US-China trade dispute, and slowing growth has triggered $13.8 billion in outflows from emerging markets in the month of August, marking the worst performing month since the US election in November of 2016. It serves as a reminder of the high risk nature of investing in these developing nations. The underperformance comes as hedge funds have been increasing their exposure to emerging markets in 2019, according to HFR, with both long and short positions. Goldman Sachs' analysis also shows that the MSCI emerging market ETF is one of the top holdings of hedge funds as of June 30th. Now, summing up where we're seeing the weakness across EM, it's broader Asia ex-China and Latin America, primarily due to Argentina's debt restructuring plans after postponing a key payment to the imf today credit rating agency s&p cutting the south american nation by three notches to triple c minus or effectively selective default argentina stock market guys down 43% this month now the broader outlook for emerging markets as we enter the fa- uh, the final three months of the year are really dependent on what happens with trade and the currency market strategists say that if the chinese yuan weakens further that will make goods in south korea india among other Asian nations uh, that compete with China less attractive. Invesco is also saying that over time, investors will become more selective of specific emerging markets versus finding a basket of stocks that track emerging markets. Uh, That will probably be a strategy that they use over time.
6: Back to you. Seema, thank you. Mm -hmm. Seema Modi. It's a really good point. I mean, the Chinese currency down almost 4% for the month of August. That's like the worst Month, it's a tremendous had. move. yeah. <laughs> uh, you don't see moves like that in this managed currency. And whether it's a reflection of China fighting back on the trade war or China's economy weakening on the new tariffs, that is certainly up for the debate. The administration has made itself clear it's a currency manipulator. Sure. I think a big question going forward will, will that continue? We have seen signs of stabilization right. in the last few days.
5: You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's
0: Squawk on the Street.